Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.T. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center, located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew continues in the Bible series on the Book of Romans with this message entitled, Passion for Perishing Souls. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Romans chapter 9, verse 1. Now, here's our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. A burning passion for souls. You cannot read this text without understanding Paul's burning passion for lost souls. He told us in Romans 8, nothing in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If nothing can separate us from the love of God, why the vast majority of God's chosen people, the Jews, are not saved? It's an intellectual problem. If God's word of promise to them has failed, how can we have the great Assurance expressed in Romans 8. So in our study, we have come to a section, Romans 9 through 11, which deals with an intense personal problem of St. Paul. This section is not an excursus, a parenthesis, or a brand new separate section. What is then this personal problem of St. Paul? If the gospel, as he said, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, why are the Jews his brothers and kinsmen according to the flesh? Why have they rejected the gospel? The vast majority of them rejected the gospel. It is an inconceivable tragedy. In spite of their many religious privileges. So in these three chapters. The apostle wrestles with this problem. Of the Jewish resistance to the gospel. Wherever the apostle went to preach the gospel, his people opposed it and they produced a riot. So we read in Acts 13 when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively. Against what Paul was saying. Then Paul said. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles. But when the Gentiles heard the gospel. They were glad and honored the word of God. 
But the Jews stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. And expelled them from their region. So Paul thus deals with the problem of what we call theodicy. The justification of the ways of God with respect to men. Why Jews are perishing and the Gentiles are being saved. It seems Israel has been disinherited and replaced by the Gentiles. And Jesus himself said, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Or Matthew 21 verse 43, therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. So this section, these three chapters, deals with theodicy, deals with the Christian philosophy of history. Concerning these three chapters, Dr. Boyce says the following. First, God's word has not failed. Only the elect will be saved. Friends, no one has an inalienable, salvific birthright. Number two, God has previously disclosed this truth in the Old Testament. That is, only the elect will be saved. Number three, the failure of the Jews to believe was their own fault. Number four, some Jews have believed and have been saved. Number five, it has always been the case that only a remnant and not all will be saved. Number six, the present salvation of the Gentiles will inspire more Jews to be saved. Number seven, in the end, all Israel will be saved, fulfilling God's promises to them. So St. Paul moves from celebration of our sure salvation in Romans 8, 31 through 39 to his lamentation of chapter 9, 1 through 5 and ends with a doxology in chapter 11, 33 through 36. Four things I want to say to you. First, the truth. Second, the pain. The third is the passion for souls. Fourth, souls of the privileged people, the Jews. The truth. The Greek text says, the truth I speak in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. Sir, truth. 
the Jews considered Saint Paul to be a traitor who sold himself and went over to the enemy's side. He used to be their champion, champion persecutor of Christians. He says this in Acts 26, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. He tells us again, First Timothy chapter 1, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. It is true, friends, St. Paul spoke against their stubborn unbelief and self-righteousness. Self-righteousness of Jewish people. He spoke against their killing their prophets and the Messiah. Listen to what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. Who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to all men. Friends, yet he loved them and had a burning passion for their salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. He wanted all Jews to know his sincere love for them. So he says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. An apostle of Jesus Christ speaks only truth. Jesus Christ is truth. So Christians always must speak truth. I speak truth in Christ, he says. As a Christian, united with Christ, I am speaking Christ's presence is with me as I speak. So I am speaking truth. You must believe my sincerity. It appears that he is taking a lawful oath to show that he is speaking the truth concerning his great and intense anguish of soul. I speak truth in Christ. He is saying that Christ guarantees the truth of what he says. I am not lying. A Christian cannot be a postmodernist. We live in the time of postmodernism when lying is normal whether politicians or preachers they all lie they are all sophists 
trying to fool people. But a Christian, I said, is not a postmodernist. He cannot lie. Lying is the business of the devil and all his children. The devil, we are told, is the father of all lies. The devil always negates God's revelation, God's truth. God said, But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Satan said in Genesis 3 verse 4, you will not surely die. His conscience bears witness with him in the Holy Ghost. My conscience confirms what I am saying is the truth. And further it is certified by the Holy Spirit who is truth. Scripture never defines conscience. Conscience is an inborn faculty that monitors one's conformity to a moral standard. Conscience is only as good as the moral standard it monitors. One who is used to cannibalism. The conscience approves it. Conscience is independent of us. It's an independent witness. God placed in us. It is culturally conditioned. It is therefore not infallible. It is a reliable guide only when enlightened by the spirit in God's word which alone is the infallible standard. This is why friends we must study diligently the scriptures and teach children the word daily because we need a renewed mind And a renewed conscience. The conscience either approves our action or condemns it. When it approves, we have a good conscience, a clear conscience. When it condemns, we have a guilty, defiled, corrupt conscience. Beyond this, one can also have a dead, seared cauterized conscience so we read Timothy chapter 4 1 and 2 the spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons such teachings come through hypocritical liars Whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Friends, continuous sinning kills conscience. Also, you can have a strong conscience or a weak conscience. And Paul will deal 
with it in Romans 14. Those who can eat meat have a strong conscience. Vegetarians have a weak conscience. So the weak conscience people must prayerfully study the word to obtain a strong conscience. But whether weak or strong, one should never violate one's conscience. So Paul says he's speaking the truth in Christ. He is not lying. His conscience confirms it. Certified by the Holy Spirit. Second, the pain, the anguish, the grief, the sorrow. Verse 2 of chapter 9. I have great grief, mega grief, and unending pain in my heart. Friends, Paul was a small man with a huge heart of love and compassion. Jesus himself moved with compassion in healing the wretched and despised people. Paul had a heart of flesh, not of stone. He felt for those who are perishing and going to hell daily. He experienced daily great grief and never-ending pain. He felt truly the pain the unbelievers would experience in hell, especially the Jews. Friends, he was heartbroken. Are you heartbroken for the lost and especially your own kindred, relatives, and friends? He felt pain for those who beat him 195 heavy beating. Who pursued him to kill him. Friends, truly Paul had a big heart that was filled with the love of God. His was an aching heart every day of his life. Dr. Haldane says this and listen carefully and apply it to your life. In this we may discern a characteristic of a Christian. He who has no sorrow for the perishing state of sinners and especially for his kindred is not a Christian. No man can be a Christian who is unconcerned for the salvation of others. Number three, the passion for souls. It shows the extent of Paul's love. And chapter 9, verse 3. I could wish, that is, if that were possible. 
It is a hypothetical and conditional wish. If it were possible that a mere sinful man could die for the salvation of others, could die in behalf of others, could make atonement for others by coming under the wrath of God, the curse of God, and go to eternal perdition, to be cut off from Christ. Paul would go to hell if that were possible, and if that would help his brothers according to the flesh to be saved and go to heaven. It is a radical statement of his burning love for the lost. He knows there is a hell and there is a heaven. What a terrible thing it is to go to hell. What a great blessing it is to have eternal life and be with Christ in paradise. Moses also had a big heart. He was willing to make atonement for his people who committed, he said, a great sin in the worship of the golden calf. He asked God to blot him out of the book of life if that would save the sinners. Moses said, let me be accursed in their place. And Paul said the same. But friends, no man can atone the sin of another. No sinner can save himself or others by his substitutionary death. Not even a sinless man can if such a one could be found. In God's universe. Only the God man Jesus Christ can make atonement for sinners by his sacrifice. So we read in Romans 8 verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering and so he condemned sin in sinful man or second corinthians 5 verse 21 god made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of god or Galatians 3, 10 and 13. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. But Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Paul already said in chapter 8, no elect can be cut off from the love of Christ. No Moses or Paul can atone for another. But we see the burning passion for souls in these verses. Friends, in the light of hell, 
No Christian can be unfeeling and neutral. We must have a big heart of love. We must feel the pain of those under the wrath of God. We must witness to them. We must warn them. We must pray for them. And especially friends, we must evangelize our family and kinsfolk. Paul longed to take their place outside of Christ. That they can be in Christ. 2 Timothy 2.25 and 26. St. Paul tells this. Those who oppose him. He must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance. Leading them to a knowledge of the truth. In the hope. Perhaps God will grant them repentance. And that they will come to their senses. And escape from the trap of the devil. The devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Friends, charity begins at home. Where is your son? Where is your daughter? He who does not provide for his own family, especially for their spiritual needs, is worse than an unbeliever. Now let me read to you a story told by Spurgeon. Spurgeon heard this story from another pastor. And this is the story, sir. Spurgeon is speaking. I heard of a dear dying girl the other day who said to her pastor, I could never bring my father to hear you preach. But I have prayed for him long. And God will answer my request. Now, dear pastor, she said, you will bury me, won't you? My father must come and hear you speak at my grave. Do speak to him. God will bless him. And he did. And her father was converted. The death of his child brought him to Christ. And Spurgeon says, oh, to be willing to die if others may be saved from the death eternal. God give us just such a spirit as that. It was Paul's passion to see his brothers cut Sarka according to the flesh. To become his brothers and curio in the Lord. And finally, his passion for souls of the privileged. The tragedy of the Jewish unbelief is to be seen in the light of their many religious privileges. These privileges of the Jews made Paul's grief very acute. How can these people reject their Messiah? How can they reject the gospel? And then he tells us they were first Israelites. They were descendants of Jacob who was given the name Israel because he prevailed with God 
through his faith and surrender and we are told by his tearful prayer he said i will not let you go unless you bless me god blessed him and gave him a new name israel he saw god face to face he experienced god he was blessed by god friends all blessings flow to them because the jews are israelites children of israel who was blessed by god how can they reject the gospel and become enemies of god enemies of the god of israel number 2 there is the adoption their adoption of course is not the adoption paul described in romans 8 and verse 15 adoption based on their union with christ by the receiving of the holy spirit of adoption which according to professor john murray is the apex of all blessings in christ but their adoption was an external theocratic adoption the nation israel was chosen by god to represent him to the world they were the light of the world listen to exodus 4:22 and 23 this is what the lord says israel is my firstborn son and i told you let my son go so he may worship me or jeremiah 31 verse 9 they will come with weeping they will pray as i bring them back i will lead them beside streams of water on a level path where they will not stumble because i am israel's father and ephraim is my firstborn son and hebrews 11 verse 1 when israel was a child i loved him and out of egypt I called him. Number 3 there is the glory Shekinah glory. The sign of God's presence was with the Israelites, not with any other nation. The pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud led them. The visible symbol of God's presence saved them and judged his enemies. This fiery presence dwelt in the tabernacle and the temple above the mercy seat in the holy of holies Shekinah glory the light of the gentiles and the glory of Israel says Zechariah this god of glory Paul said will glorify us this glory later departed from the temple because of Israel's sin as we read in Ezekiel even as the holy spirit departed from Saul oh what a tragedy when glory of god departs this glory the apostles saw finally in Jesus Christ but Israel rejected their glorious messiah but this glorious messiah friends is with us always number 4 there's the covenants plural 
covenants we read about Genesis 15 and 17 and 22 and 26 and 28 we speak about Mosaic covenant, Davidic covenant, new covenant the covenants belong to the Israelites all covenants particularly Abrahamic all covenants represent the one covenant of grace revealed more fully in the course of time in its multiple manifestations. Number five, to them belong the receiving of the law. The nations did not receive this law. Paul says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. Friends, the law is a blessing. This blessing was given to the Israelites. The law governed their lives. It told what is right and what is wrong. And which way I should go. This legislation was a great blessing to them. As we read in Psalm 147. He has revealed his word to Jacob. His laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. Praise the Lord. No other nation. No God's law. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Says. And the law was spoken by God's voice. And written with his fingers. Friends the law we are told. Was pointing to Christ. Yet they missed them. Paul says in Romans 10, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law or goal of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes but they missed it. Number six, the worship belonged to them. Friends, let us understand the nations worshipped in ignorance and they worshipped demons all other worship outside of worship of the triune God is idolatry it's worship of demons you Samaritans worship that you do not know Deuteronomy 32 verse 17 they sacrifice to demons which are not God Gods they had not known. Gods that recently appeared. Gods your fathers did not fear. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 20. No but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons. Not to God. Israel worshipped the true and living God. They had a priesthood and sacrifices. They approached God through prescribed blood sacrifices. They knew they were sinners and God was holy. They were given instruction in acceptable worship through the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ. Today we worship God in spirit and in truth. 
1 Corinthians 5, 7, get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Romans 12, 1, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your acceptable worship. Or look at Ephesians 5, beginning with verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is worship. So Jesus said, yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That's what we do. And so we read in the book of Hebrews chapter 4. Let us then approach the throne of grace. This is worship with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Number seven, to them belonged promises, all promises, especially the promise of the Messiah, the Lord and Savior. You read Isaiah, you are reading now Isaiah, Isaiah 7, 9, 11, 35, 53, 55, 60, 61, 62. Keep on reading, it is promising a Messiah who will come, a deliverer, a Savior, a King. Or look at Genesis 3 verse 15, the first promise, proto-euangelion. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Acts chapter 2 verse 39, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Galatians 3.16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds meaning many people, but and to your seed meaning one person who is Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.24, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Friends, all promised blessings flow to believers only in and through Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. Friends, if you miss the Messiah, you miss all. What does it profit if you gain the whole world and lose your soul, sir? And it is important, friends, to know what the true gospel is all about. To them belong the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, and so on. They are those who lived by faith and experienced God. They are those who lived by the faith of Abraham. They pleased God and were commended by God. And a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. They are our fathers surrounding us. What a heritage to have godly ancestors. Number nine, from them comes the Messiah according to the flesh. 
who is over all, who is God, who is blessed forever. And he says, Amen. The climactic privilege, the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ, did not come from the nations. He came from the Israelites. The Messiah was an Israelite. He came to his own, but his own received him not. His own crucified him. What a great tragedy. Friends, privileges do not save anyone automatically. It can condemn people. Paul boasted in his privileges. In Philippians chapter 3. And he says, if anyone puts confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he cites seven of them. Four he inherited, three he acquired. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness. What is it? Perfect. They did not save him. They only blinded and condemned him. Prince Paul has great grief and never-ending pain in his heart. How could his brothers, his kinsfolk in the flesh, miss their Messiah who came to save the accursed and the hell-bound? This is the intellectual problem St. Paul is dealing with in chapter 9, 10, and 11. It is inconceivable that the Israelites are accursed and cut off from their Messiah. They had all these privileges. How could this be? Friends, look at Aaron's children. Nadab and Abihu, they were priests, but they were killed. Eli and his children, priests, they were killed. Korah, he was a Levite, he was killed. Samuel's children, highly privileged, they became wicked. David's children, they had all the privileges. They were killed because they were wicked. Josiah's children, they were privileged, but they were killed. What about you elders, your children? They are privileged. I pray that they will all confess Christ and be saved. What about you, Christian parents? What about you, your children? I pray that they all confess and be saved. Friends, privileges brings accountability and responsibility and judgment. Judgment, friends, is according to knowledge. We cannot put our confidence in privileges. What about our privilege? What about our children's privileges? Country. We live in a country, freedom to preach, believe, and practice our Christian faith. There is economic prosperity, no poverty, plenty to eat, sir. We have a lot of Bibles and other Christian literature. We are born in Christian homes. Christian home where there is daily devotion, Bible reading and worship. Baptized and received into membership in a Bible-believing church. You worship in the church several times a week. Where preaching of the word is going on with all clarity and boldness. There is weekly Holy Communion, opportunity to repent and be reconciled to God and man. There are retreats for all, all ages. 
special ministry to the university students. There is the Christian school. We teach Christian principles. You have Christian parents. Their life and their counsel must impress you. There's regular Bible reading. You read through New Testament twice a year and Old Testament one time. There is pastoral care and biblical counseling for all sorts of issues. Exemplary lives of the spiritual leaders in this church. Be warned from this passage, friends, Romans 9, 1 through 5. It is a lament, not a celebration. Like Jeremiah, Paul is weeping. Like Jesus, Paul is crying. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, But now it is hidden from your eyes. Friends, fathers and mothers, children, be warned therefore. Appreciate your privileges. Trust in Jesus Christ. He died for your sins. He was cut off in your place. He suffered your curse and the wrath of God. And have a burning passion for souls. Have a big heart full of God's love. Grieve over your dear people. Intercede for them. Live a holy life and proclaim the gospel to your parents, your spouses, your children, your relatives, your friends, your neighbors, and especially your enemies. Anguish over them, sir. Pray that God will give you a burden for souls. That God will give us a vision of hell and of paradise. And I pray first that you may taste and see that the Lord is good. Without tasting and knowing, you cannot tell anybody who Jesus Christ is. Number two, he shall receive power. After the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be my witnesses. And we read in Isaiah 43 today. You are my witnesses. And we read. That I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why should I? For it is the power of God under salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greeks privileged and those without any privileges God saves every day look at Saul he was privileged and God saved him look at the man with the legion of demons who was nothing and God deliberately went to save him look at the thief on the cross the last act of evangelism Jesus did was to speak to the thief today you will be with me in paradise. And let us believe the truth. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Heavenly Father, we pray that you give us a heart like that of Moses, like that of Paul, like that of Jesus, who said to the prostitute, neither do I condemn you, 
go in peace. In view of his death on the cross, her sin are forgiven. Thank you for forgiving our sins. Save people. Forgive sins. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You have been listening to Grace and Glory Audio of this message entitled Passion for Perishing Souls. Come back soon for more transforming Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthew.